This week's episode of Live from the Dutch Hall is brought to you by Norfolk and Blues Festival. It's July 19th and 20th at beautiful Lakeside Vista in Norfolk County, Ontario. For more information, go to norfolkbluesfestival.ca and uh, look at the lineup and plan your camping trip. Have a nice weekend and listen to some great music. Once again, it's Norfolk Blues Festival, www.norfolkbluesfestival.ca. Tonight, we're very happy to have comedian Jason Allen on, so without further ado, let's hit the theme song. Nice crowd. It is a great crowd. Don't you wish you had one of those in your pocket at all times? <laughs> make you feel good about yourself. Even if I'm, even if I'm dying on stage, I just hit that yeah. and make up for it. One earbud in your ear and just like like an iPod that will just play applause Perfect. in your one ear. Yeah. For just day to day life too. Like I make, a, I find a sale at the grocery store and I can just have an applause break for that. And yeah. Cheer me on through the day. It'd be perfect. Yeah. It's it's it would work in this society where everybody gets a trophy, right? I feel so. like yeah, exactly right. It yeah. boosts everybody up. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I like having a canned crowd. They're good. I had a real crowd one or two times, and it was it was even better, to be honest with you. But canned laughter is always great. It just makes me sad a little bit when I think about all those people being dead and stuff. Eh? They're mostly dead people, aren't they? It, it, it's just recordings of, yeah, probably people from the 30s and yeah. stuff like that. that <laughs> when comedy was really funny, like <laughs> vaudeville and stuff. When people loved it. Yeah. Well, today we have a very special guest. We have Jason Allen, uh, which is he's a local London comedian. And I was uh, fortunate enough to go to a, the Tom Segura show this Wednesday at the Fox and Fiddle in London. And uh, Jason opened up there and we met. I was able to meet with him and he came down and uh, came to the Dutch Hall for me today. So thank you very much, Jason, for coming out. Thank you for having me. I'll give you the full round of applause. Normally, the, I get a bit sick of the applause, so I end it with, the, it yeah, with that, that sound. Oh. Except for the girls will get this sound. So we give that. That's for you, even though I'm not supposed to pretend you're not here. Right? <laughs> so, Jason, thanks a lot for coming out. I do really appreciate it. And I really enjoyed the show on Wednesday. Um, Thank you. We were, we were, it was a great show, by all accounts. We were talking a little bit earlier about how the venue itself was, was, int- was unique as, yes. uh, for a comedy venue, yes, right? Yes, definitely unique. Um, but they packed it. And they had a Absolutely. great response. No, a huge response. Um, even uh, Tom Segura, like we were talking a bit downstairs when we were talking, uh, Tom and also Rob Melu, who was the MC of the night at the yeah. show. And they were both talking about like how London's a decent-sized city and there's no reason that other big comedians shouldn't be able to come here. You know, there's about half a million people in London and hopefully we'll still keep getting big acts coming in. Well, sure, yeah, and uh, they have a big drawing area, too. And uh, Russell Peters, I think, is doing Budweiser Gardens in London. I saw his sign oh, up there. Oh, I didn't even... Yeah. You know more than I do. Yeah, I saw that just... we Well, we saw Queens of the Stone Age last uh, Sunday, and I saw yeah. Russell Peters was doing London, and I thought... Excellent. That's a big, uh, a big name to come through London. Well, at music acts, we got... Well, we had Queens of the Stone Age. They've yeah. had the Foo Fighters, Bob Dylan. They've had all the big oh, names, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Neil Young. Yeah. In the past, I believe. Lionel um, Richie's coming next week. Or now next, we're talking. Yeah. <laughs> I forget. Lionel Richie and I think Gnarls Barkley are playing there. Oh, very nice. Yeah, I really yeah. like Gnarls Barkley, too. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. London is is kind of the forgotten city in, in Canada, really. Yeah, people don't really realize that there can actually be hope for a scene in London. And there's a lot of young people, too, especially, like, when schools in with, like, Fanshawe and Western University. There's, yep. there's enough population there, enough young people that can support stuff. Like, Bill Burr. Played the Centennial Hall earlier in the year. Oh, really? Jim Gaffigan played a couple summers ago at the Centennial Hall. Yeah, yeah. Um, How many people get in? Can you put in Centennial Hall? Do you know? I don't know offhand, like what the max is, but I'm guaranteeing. I could almost guarantee those shows are selling out. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, those are big names to come through. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a big deal. Yeah. And then, uh, so we have, and I noticed even in Hamilton, like I sometimes go to shows in Hamilton. Yeah. Um, 
absinthe. They have a club absinthe there in, in Hamilton. I saw Kyle Kinane there a while back. Nice. And uh, it was a great show. And they had, they again, local Hamilton comics open it up and MC and yeah. them, And then they, then they have the, the traveling act come through. And it was fantastic. Uh, a, a great venue and good and well attended too. So Absolutely. And from what I've heard, like Hamilton's comedy scene has just picked up a lot in the last couple of years where they've started doing like weekly open mics and having more stage time for like local comedians there. And Hamilton's not much bigger than London. And That's right. hopefully the London comedy scene will start to move more in that direction. Yeah, yeah. Where a lot of shows now are just on a monthly basis, and I'd love to see shows carry on to a weekly basis, different venues where you could be getting stage time. Even just a few times a week would be excellent. Yeah, yeah. So much growth for a city like London. Yeah, there's no reason why why that can't happen, right? Like I would say. So, yeah, I have a question. Do they still have Second City in London? They do not. Yeah, I think like I really miss. I I hear a lot about like the old Second City or the old Yuck Yucks in London, and it's not to say anything bad about what's going on in London now, but it seems like I kind of like miss the heyday. Yeah, yeah. Of when like when the Yuck Yucks was right downtown on Wellington, and it was just more traffic going through where the Yuck Yucks now is at Western Fair. Yeah, yeah. And it's a bit out of the way. I've even talked to some people who thought. London didn't have a Yuck Yucks anymore. I said, no, it's just kind of hidden. It's at the Western Fair. Yeah, yeah. So When I was younger, like in the early, probably around 1990, uh, I used to go to London all the time for, um, and we go to Second City and watch the, the Second City acts. I do it all the time, and it was great. We really enjoyed it. Yeah. But those, that was kind of the heyday, the tail end of the heyday of comedy is, is during the, like in the 80s and stuff when everything was going crazy with comedy. Right. And then it kind of started to die down. And then now I think it's just a resurgence of, of comedy because of the internet, of what I, the internet's done definitely. To, to empower people and, and form like relationships with people with things like so, uh, Twitter and, and Facebook and uh, just the way people are marketing their own products, you know, is way different. Like Louis C.K., um, he really changed the game uh, with his $5 special that he did. And I was really impressed. Um, I read something online just today where Louis C.K., uh, and no, it's old. It's old news. This is, I think, from Christmas time. When he did the, he put a special on online himself. He didn't do it with a major company, and then he was doing it kind of as a social experiment to see: is, is are people going to steal my material if I, um, are people going to steal my material if I give it away for a reasonable price? And uh, yeah. and then um, so he did five bucks, and he did uh, he in the he did he made his money back. With the seats, he said. He said, really, the cost of doing the special he made back just with the people he put in the theater. But he was doing it in New York City at, like, uh, some ballroom that, you know, it was $170,000 to lease the space or something right. like that. Something ridiculous, right? So he had to make it back and sell a lot of tickets. And then he uh, put it up for 5 bucks, and he said he made his money back uh, within uh, seven days or something. And in, in like, 12 days, he made a million bucks. Like that's Louis C.K. Yeah. <laughs> what a lot of comedians d did was thank Louis C.K. for that. They're like, thanks a lot because it's awesome. It gives us the power to be able to like do our own thing without having somebody else see something in me. I can just build my own yeah. following and then and then promote it. But hey, I wish he would have charged ten bucks. Is what other people are saying because like you know Louis C.K.'s got he's like the the top of his game, right? And sure. and uh, a guy that's like maybe at the like Todd Berry I think did it as well. Todd Berry doesn't have the following of Louis C.K., right. so he's like, you know, I really could have used that extra five bucks, you know, <laughs> if I was trying to cover the cost. And then I was just, I was telling you before we went on, I watched Maria Bamford, mm -hmm. and she did a special in her own in her own house, and she had just her whole audience was just her parents, and she did the show just for her parents, and uh, she had her one friend playing keyboards and another one that w that introduced her. I don't, she's not sure if she had a warm up act or not, but she she said she did it because it was free. And uh, she didn't have to rent a big stadium for sure, a or a big sure. theater for a special, and so she did it. And, and really, by all accounts, they had a nice curtain behind the couch with lights. So the when the shots on her doing her act, it could have been anywhere. It looks yeah. like she's doing a, a real act, and uh, the audience was. I thought it was funny because it was directed right at her parents. Like, and the thing about it is, she's probably ahead of the game financially by doing it that way. Oh, and definitely. I, I don't think she ruled, she ruled out any people watching. In fact, probably more people did to just check that it was just to see the how it turned out because it's a unique thing that's never been done before. Yeah, it's sometimes just if you put out an interesting concept, I'm sure you can draw a lot of people. 
mm-hmm. to it. Hold on a second. I just got to do something. All right, we're back there. Sorry about that. I just had a little bit of technical difficulties. We're back. So, yeah, we were saying about Maria Bamford, about stuff. you do something, just something unique, and then people will take interest in it. Like, but that's the thing. Before, you wouldn't get the chance because you'd have to go through a whole bunch of corporate douchebags and convince them that you can make them money, and then they would tell you, okay, you're going to make – this is how I want you to make me money, and this is how I'm going to screw your vision up of your act or whatever they want to do to manipulate it. And – when you're, yeah, when, when you're, the basis of your materials like that you are unique, then you don't want people messing with it, right? You're trying, like, I find that stand up comedy is probably the rawest form of personal expression almost that's out there because you have no, no one to hide behind. There's, there's nothing to hide behind. And that's, that's really like the, uh, the toughest part about it sometimes is like, I did music for a long time before I even, started doing comedy like i didn't even start doing comedy until i was 27 i'm doing it a little over a year now but uh like with music i could hide behind my guitar yeah there's like there's a rhythm there's people getting into it people can even like talk a little when you're doing music because you can still pick it up mm-hmm. you can still listen to it but with comedy like everybody has to be really paying attention and it's just you and this microphone yeah yeah and getting people to to laugh like laughter is such just like a a natural expression it's just something that is in people you know what i mean but then to try to figure out how to bring that out of people yeah can be really tough sometimes now you know when we went when you're doing a gig like segura like you did on wednesday that's the biggest gig you played definitely yeah definitely like there was um some big shows in toronto too i did um this place called PJ O'Brien's, uh, it's called Cheap Laughs, and that's what's called the bringer show, mm-hmm. where each comedian at least has to bring two people. So it's to make sure that like there's an actual audience and it's fresh, because some open mics that you go to, it will just be other comedians showing up. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. Thing and, and are they're not notorious? They're not like historically very good laughers. Other comedians, is that true? Is that fair to say? I would definitely say that's fair to say. And it's not even their fault. It's not like all comedians are like humorless at this point or like or anything like that. But it's just when you write so many jokes, you kind of know what's coming. Yeah, yeah. You know, like a lot of punchlines don't surprise me anymore. You can kind of like, even by a setup sometimes, kind of know where a person is going with something, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's not that element of surprise anymore. Okay. And that's what's so important about comedy. Let me do one for you then, okay? You tell me where I'm going with it. All right. I'll do the setup, and then you got to tell me where and I'm I going. I got to fill in the blanks? Oh, man. You want to try? Okay, I'll try. I'll it's try. kind of... It's kind of... You're going to make me seem like I was like, there's no one on the... I'm now I'll get no, it No, I just want to try it. I just want to see how right all you right, are. Because right. I want to see how predictable my material is. That's fair, all. Fair enough. Because I'm enough. like an amateur as fuck. Like, I'm as, I'm as amateur as they come, <laughs> right? Right? So, like, I have no no real uh, pedigree. I'm just a regular dude. I write I write a bunch of shitty jokes. <laughs> so, then we'll see what... So this is the one I did on my last show. It's already so crowd. The crowd at home already knows it if they what, listen last week. But uh, I'm going by memory too. Oh, here I got it written down. Oh no, that's what new one I wrote today. Sorry. All right, so I'm gonna go by memory how this joke goes. Okay, so uh, the this was an it's a topical story. It's a topical joke, right? So it's about uh, last week in the news. The Pope, uh, the Vatican sent out a, a release that the Pope was gonna meet with uh, sexual abuse victims. For the first time since becoming the, the pontiff, uh, the Vatican would not release where the meeting, uh, the details of the meeting until, <laughs> punchline. Until they finished going through the kitty porn together. Uh, close, yeah, yeah. I was going to say until they were sure the Pope never fucked anyone. That's where I went with the joke. <laughs> right, right. But so you, still along, <laughs> yeah, the lines of. It's still, yeah. yeah. You knew it was going to some sort of. Uh, the sexual deviancy a that dirt, the Pope's yeah. into. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's not many places that could go and get the laugh, you know? You don't want to go into the tragedy of it. You no, know, you don't want no, to go you don't want to go too dark. You <laughs> yeah. gotta keep it kinda You 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 play with that in your material, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um like I'm not a comedian that curses or anything like that, but there's definitely like things I insinuate to I use innuendos. Yeah, yeah. At times, that could lead to stuff like that. Oh, and it's better. Like, if you got, I noticed that sometimes, and you hear other people talking about it too, is that when people mis- overuse the word, the, the dirty words, you know, like, um, like, like if you say fuck too many times, 
then it fuck loses its power. Absolutely. And then, and if people are just saying uh, fuck a million times on stage for the sake of saying it, then they end up uh, uh, burning the word out. It ends up being a crutch for them almost. Absolutely. You know? No, I've definitely seen people like use like the word fuck, for example, just like almost as like a filler. Yeah. In between like the lines they're they're like saying to get to that joke, you didn't need to put fuck three times yeah, yeah. in the last few sentences you could have got to the joke and if the joke's strong you don't need it, it. would work yeah. yeah in fact the joke sh- well i shouldn't say all the time but most of the time the joke doesn't need it, it sometimes it needs it if you're it needs it but like if you want to sell a certain type of frustration i could get yeah wanting to to say that right but even just through your voice or the expression on your face you can often sell frustration yeah without but, having to swear with the joke i just told you can't. I, I, if I would have said that Pope molested him, or or it wouldn't it's, work. It becomes too real. Yeah. No, yeah. fact is actually better in that scenario. Yeah. You're right. That's a part of stand-up comedy that really fascinates me. Is that you can write a lot, and and you said uh, you said before we started the show that how often you write, and yeah. and uh, so you say you write every day. I I try to write at least a joke a day. And and uh, that's a, it's good to have goals like that, right? In order to, to like I know even. Um, Rivers Cuomo from from Weezer. Yeah, he has a goal. He has to. He sets a personal goal for himself to write one song a day, and 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 he's prolific, eh? Yeah. And uh, which is incredible to write a song a day. But he's got that sort of work ethic to say most of them are garbage, but the, then you you hit on these good but, ones. Sometimes. Yeah, and that's but that's the thing. Like with the the writing, writing garbage isn't actually bad. It's like the writing garbage. It's like you weed through that stuff to get to the good stuff underneath that right like there's times like when i write some of my favorite jokes i also wrote wrote five terrible jokes that same day yeah yeah. and then maybe took a break or something like that but at that point the wheels are turning i'm in that comedy mode yeah and then later i strike a joke that ended up working really well that I still use on stage today, right? Yeah, yeah. I had to write those five bad ones earlier in the day yeah, to yeah. get to that one sometimes, I feel. Do you, have you ever had a joke that's like like what you, what you think is a, a dud, but then you kind of like go revisit it and build it, making it something decent? Sometimes what, what has happened is um, some of my jokes that I was like the least proud of, I would try on people – and they'd laugh the most. I remember one time I was going to see my girlfriend Katie at work. I was going to, I think I was bringing her a coffee or doing something like that because I'm a great boyfriend. You're a real nice guy. You don't ever say uh, that in your act. It's, it's not funny. No, no. You can't talk about how nice you are. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Nobody wants to hear that. Yeah. Nobody wants, you can't just be up there patting yourself. Yeah. Like I'm that. handsome and I got I, my life figured out. It's hilarious. Things are pretty good. Isn't yeah. that funny? Yeah. Everything's great for me. I'm really in a happy place right now. Laugh. <laughs> you need tragedy. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, absolutely. No, no worries. But I, I had written a few jokes, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to see her and tell her these jokes. And then on the way walking over to her, I thought of this other joke that I didn't think was that I was like, well, I have it. I'm not even going to write it down. Um, whatever. Like, maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I won't. It wasn't really a big deal. I tried these other three jokes on her that I had written down. She was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I, I thought of this on the way over. And I said, I used to wear acid wash jeans, but then my legs would be up all night laughing. <laughs> and she she was like, that's the one. She's like, you thought of the way over? I'm like, really? That's the one out of the other three I tried on you? Like that one? She was like, that's the one. That's like your radio head's and creep, eh? You have yeah, to play it until like, it becomes so your staple, and then you don't want to do it anymore. Exactly. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah, that's why sometimes it's surprising. Like, are you doing it for yourself, or are you doing it for the crowd, right? Like, and that's the other uh, thing about comedians being an audience member, right? Because the comedians understand you're not performing to them. Like, and and some comedians yeah. get trapped into that. There's there's uh, comedians, comedians, you know, they call them, right? Where they kind of play to the back of the room to the comics that are there, yeah. trying to trying to like surprise them with something where you didn't expect them to go right, that way you know right. but and they kind of limit their career because of it because they're playing to the smaller population right yeah they're playing to their buddies right yeah, yeah. for i don't know for me i i definitely want to play to the audience like that's 
that's what it's that's what they're there for. Like they're there to laugh, and it's my job, kind of in a way, to make them laugh. Like I could make some insider comedian joke that three guys are gonna laugh at. Yeah, yeah. And you're a hero when you get off. And yeah, and then they're like, "Yeah, man, cool." <laughs> or I could make like the the general public who maybe doesn't know a lot about like the works of comedy laugh yeah yeah and that's and that's what i want yeah so have you um when you're up on stage do you ever have an opportunity to read your crowd where you see that you're that um you got some material that's kind of not doing as well as it has before and then you know like oh that other one's not going to work then if they didn't like definitely that. like um yeah there's certain jokes that i've had follow-ups to but if the one before uh dropped then i wouldn't use you we can't tag it, right? Follow up. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, you can't take something that just fell on its face. Yeah, you can take something that maybe you like got like a light laugh, but then you know the tag is even stronger. Yeah, so it'll sometimes it can be a build up. It's like you're climbing a hill or something like that. Yeah. Um, and I feel that works, and some of my materials very much like that, where it starts off with something that I feel like. It's okay, we'll get some laughs, but then the next one's even stronger, and then the next one's even more shocking or stronger. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, but no, if, if the first one dies, I'll just be like, okay, move on, like, new topic. And I've gotten better at that over time, where before I think I would just commit to, like, what I had practiced at home, and I'm like, I was going to do this on stage, so that bombs, then this will bomb too. Yeah, yeah. Whatever I'm doing on stage that way. Yeah. But, um, no, I've gotten better, I feel, at, like, reading that. And, really, I've just written more material that I'm happy with. So, if, like, one thing doesn't work, I'm like, okay, screw it then. Here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's something else in the back pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, did you start out with uh, a group? Like, a, do you have someone that you consider to be kind of in your class that's going through the same stage of his career as, as you are? Um, Like, there's definitely, like, a lot of the the comedians that I that I did my first show with I'm I'm still definitely doing shows with but um I didn't know anybody when I started like it was like I I wanted to do it I started writing jokes in my free time I would try them out on Katie I would try them out on some of my friends and stuff like that and then I got up on stage and then I've kind of become friends with certain comedians and uh and yeah some of us are definitely like around the same timeline as like where we started yeah and have kind of been growing together in some ways like i just got back from toronto a few weeks ago and i was with my friend jonathan james who's another comedian who has around the same amount of time as i do into comedy right and we did a bunch of shows together in toronto and then even in toronto I was writing some new jokes and then trying them out on Jonathan. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Use that or whatever else. So, yeah. It's nice to have that sort of like, oh, absolutely. Like, uh, constructive feedback from people because it's a pretty lonely existence, really. Absolutely. Like you're just up there by yourself, right? Yeah. yeah. And even like even the writing process. I mean, you, you're, you can get lost in just... Your own thoughts. I mean, absolutely. Oh, all the time. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, that's the thing. When I used to, when I when I was in the banking uh, world, you you were you had no time to think about uh, anything. And then when you when I quit or whatever, and then I'm at home, I have nothing but uh, time to think. And then my brain go like it's uh, not a, not for everyone to let their brain just do whatever go wherever yeah. it, it's supposed to go because yeah. it goes in some pretty weird places. Absolutely, sometimes. you, you kind of have to let your mind wander and just think about different things or like kind of make connections where most people would never bother like using their using their mind for that you know what i mean and then you try to to do that with yourself yeah yeah. have you had to deal with hecklers yet no actually no, um really like all the all nice crowds um i don't know if it's that really all the crowds are nice i've done shows for audiences where I didn't get heckled and other comedians got heckled either earlier or later oh, in yeah. the night. 
Um, I think that because I think it's because your setups are short. I think it's because of that exactly. I don't think I give a lot of time for people to really engage with me, and I don't really talk to the audience. I kind of, in a way, I talk for them. Like yeah. I'll say stuff like, like obviously, like nobody's gonna be listening to this can see me, but I look like I I live in an enchanted forest, <laughs> and. uh like all, like all, my opening joke would be like, you guys can probably tell just by looking at me that I'm the outdoorsy type. Yeah. <laughs> and by outdoorsy, I do mean homeless. Yeah. So I'm speaking for them. I'm saying you yeah, yeah. guys can tell. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I'm yeah. telling them what they're thinking. And then once but I never actually engage. I'm never like, how's everybody doing tonight? I don't invite yeah. a conversation or an interruption. And again, like my setups are so short that it's like even if you didn't like that. Last one, wait two seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here comes the next. That's what's nice. Ni- like, you just kept punching us and punching us and punching that's us. What, that's what I try to do. I try to beat the crowd to death. Yeah, with yeah. laughter, hopefully. I was howling up top. I don't know. I, I, if there was a guy that was, like, annoyingly loud in the top howling, uh, uh, that was me. Because I really got me. You got me. It's It was a build for me. Like, I ended up getting more and more into it by the end. Right. And you kind of got me. I got on the ride. It was funny. And um, I think that... Uh, for me, I I would never like I think about it all the time, you know, because I got I write material, but I never know how to I never know how to start it. Like the beginning part is the right. is terrifying to me. Even the show, even my show here, I always like ah, you know, panic because yeah. I don't know how to start. Once it starts, fine, you know, then I can go. But the be, the beginning, like to go out there and and capture their attention, you know, you can. I find that to be so important, you know, because if they tune out and all of a sudden they're getting a drinks and having their own conversation or checking their emails or whatever, then you've kind of lost. It's hard to get them back. Isn't Abs- it? No, absolutely. Like if you start to lose people, it can be like, I've seen guys lose audiences early and that's it. And if you got to be up there for even, even if you're doing an open mic type set, like even if you're doing five minutes, if you lose them within the first 30 seconds, you have four and a half more minutes up there. And usually, like, once you've lost them, they're gone. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So um, advice I was given early on was that start with a strong joke. Like, guys would tell me if you can make them laugh at the very beginning, they'll usually hang with you. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the opposite goes the other way, Because right? you establish if yourself you, as being funny, right? Because right away, it's first impression, right? Yeah, yeah. So if you make them laugh... Right out of the gate, you usually you're like, okay, you're mine now. We're going on this ride together. But if you make a weird impression out of the gate, they they don't want to. They're done connecting with you already. I find a lot of times. And yeah, first yeah. impressions, like as most people know in life, like first impressions really are key in a lot of a lot of ways in life. Right? Yeah. So it's the same on stage. Yeah, yeah. I know. So yeah, that would. I've seen seen it quite a bit where the guy will come out and people will make their mind up so quickly because and the guy usually is and it's usually with the MC spot I find the MC spot comes out and it's tough because they got to kind of re, get the crowd settled down so they don't want to burn mate, the material before they've even kind of sat down and focused right but if you are listening for is this guy any good and then all of a sudden he's starting out with a couple of you know how you doing or, you know nice city kind of right, not getting to the right. joke. You've said, oh, no, this guy's already wasting my time kind of thing. And I don't envy MCs, though, too. And the weird part about being an MC is that certain clubs, um, like I know this about Yuck Yucks, they expect you to go up and start asking people in the audience, hey, anybody celebrating anything tonight? Anybody's birthday, anniversary? Hey, what's going on? You know what I mean? <laughs> They expect you, they want you to do that. Some of them will want, some clubs will want you to make kind of a local joke about the town you're in and stuff like that. So when you're put in a position where you kind of have to start like that, and then, and then you will, you'll get, you'll get judged. You'll get, there'll, there'll be people in the audience that are like, well, I don't know. He was just asking us how we were doing and stuff. It wasn't, I didn't like it. You know what I mean? But for all you know, it could have been some club owner that's telling him like, no, you got to ask about birthdays and anniversaries. And he's getting, he's just going through his list of shit he's got to do. Yeah, exactly. And just kind of, yeah. um, 
Yeah, it's a tough gig. You know, back in the day, it used to be them. There was, there, and there still is the odd show that's like that, but the MC was the strongest. Like, they would have their strongest right. act as the MC, and they'd kill all night, and then they would introduce the acts as they were kind of supporting it, you know? Like, right. I don't know. It was the, I mean, you know, I don't know if you would have seen it, but I actually don't even know if this is real, so I'm, I might be talking on my ass here, but the Rodney Dangerfield Young Comic Special. I think Rodney hosted it, right? It was, right. And it used to be that was kind of the thing. The guy would have the club. And that it had the name, and then they would put on really good shows, but they'd be like uh, bringing on younger talent to showcase. Yeah, and that that happens in certain clubs. Like Kitty and I went to Toronto once and went to a show at Absolute Comedy in Toronto. Oh yeah, yeah. And the host was a pro. Her name was Deanne Smith, and she was hilarious. And then there were some amateurs, and there was a couple more pros, but she was definitely like I would say the strongest act of the night. Yeah. And so she got to keep coming back up, and even if the show dropped for a bit, she'd get to come back up, and she'd bring everybody up again, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and I thought that was a really, really wise idea on their behalf, and it just gives, it gives a good crowd, and gives a good atmosphere for amateur comedians to start kind of like digging in their heels and kind of like getting their chops down. Yeah, I love that. I think it's great because then if they if you do have somebody that's trying new stuff out and you know sometimes it's even established guys, but they're trying to work some new material that they haven't figured out yet, and they're trying to like bounce it off of uh, the crowd. And uh, if you have a nice MC to save you when you just ate shit, you absolutely. Know? And you know the thing about having some old stuff in your pocket to use. Is it's nice you can always go back if you tried something that didn't work, then you can kind of get yourself out of trouble yeah. with an old faithful that gets you out. I know it's even Segura, Segura did that once in his 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 set that he did. And it, uh, he had one joke from his old special, and that was it. All the rest right. were, were new, was new, but usually people burn it when they're yeah when they're done, right? Nobody noticed. I didn't think like it was just the one bit, but it, it was. Still good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the guy's good. So that was, uh, you said you got to meet him, eh? Mm -hmm. You got to meet Tom. And um, why don't you tell that story again? Because it was a good one. I, because uh, this is, it was, sorry, you tell it, you tell, you tell it better. You, um, well, like, I'll be honest, like, I'm, uh, I'm still very new to this. You know, this, uh, Tom Segura, it was a really big show. He's been on Comedy Central, he's been on Netflix. He had no problem selling out the Fox and the Fiddle. Uh, I was really honored to be asked to do this show by the promoter, Derek Kale, uh, who also goes by Dr. Feel Funny. Um, is he the guy with the long hair? He is the guy yeah. with the long hair, and he yeah. was walking around with his briefcase probably most of the night. <laughs> um, but this was this was all very new to me, and it was, a, it was a big crowd. There was a lot of people there. People paid money for this show. This isn't like some open mic that I've done. A bunch of times this is uh, a brand new thing to me right so I I was I was nervous I was sweating it a bit but I usually get nervous before shows anyways because I work myself up I'm very hard on myself but I I was outside I was having a smoke with Katie and I'm talking to her about like how weird I'm getting everything like that and she's like always doing the same thing where she tells me like you're gonna be fine and she's just talking me off the edge yeah, yeah. kind of thing and <laughs> So I go back downstairs and I'm in the like comedy waiting room or whatever else with Tom Segura and I start talking to him. I'm like, it was great to meet you again. I just wanted to say, and uh, I'm like, this is going to be good. It's going to be, it's going to be okay. And he's looking at me like, well, yeah, of course it is. Cause like he's been doing it for 12 years. Right. Yeah. What he doesn't realize is that like, I'm saying it to him, but I'm telling myself. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't like have a meltdown right there. And I told him at the time too, that this was going to be my, 23rd show and he's going yeah man it's gonna be fine and then uh rob melu the the mc of the night got up and uh introduced himself the whole crowd started cheering and tom pointed at the ceiling and he goes you listen to them he's like it's fine they're gonna be like listen to them they love it yeah, yeah. they're into it everything's gonna be fine and i kind of relaxed enough i waited till rob got off i got up on stage i ended up having a really good set i was really happy with it and I got off stage, and then Tom Segura came up to me again, and he, like, gave me a fist bump, and he said, hey, show 23 in the bag, man. Yeah. And I was like, right on. Like, yeah. It was yeah. pretty cool, you know, to have that experience. Yeah, it's great. I mean, and, and especially a guy who's been through it already before, you know, he knows how you feel. He remembers when he was in that position, you know. Absolutely. But it's good to have that sort of support. 
And 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 it's, and it's in a business like that. I think when you get to that level where you've already you're comfortable with your success, and you know that you want you want to see other people do well, Absolutely. they're not really going to impact your stuff. It's a big world, you know. Unfortunately, you hear all the times other people are just so critical of their friends' success in that in the business, and that's a that's a shame. We see it in farming too. Believe it or not, you know, like the. Oh, yeah. Like vegetable farmers who don't want to see another vegetable farmer do well because they feel that that would mean that they are they can't sell their stuff, you know, like there's enough for everybody. You know, it's a big world. So anyways, it's funny how it doesn't matter what line of work you go into. It's people are people, true. right? Yeah, people are people and people get bitter sometimes and, and sort of things happen. Like I've even had promotions at work and like my regular job where I could tell like maybe – Certain people weren't happy that maybe I got that and they didn't yeah. or something like it just happens in life. Yeah, yeah. So let's uh, let's do one more. You want to do one more of the? I'll take an old joke I said in one of my podcasts. You tell me you can guess the punchline. You want to do right. one? Yeah, let's try another one. Okay, this one was from Happy Birthday Charters, which is uh, I think episode ten or something. And uh, my buddy Dave is a staunch Catholic, right? Staunch Catholic. Right, so that's the that's what you have to understand before because I'm talking to a okay. What is I don't staunch know. Catholic? Yeah, I don't know what a staunch Catholic. Staunch, I mean, it's just being really Catholic. He's super Catholic. Oh, okay, okay. He loves Jesus. Right. Loves Jesus Christ. Okay. Right? And the, in, in the Catholic way, not in like the filthy Protestant way. I don't know. I don't know. He's Catholic though, and so right. I like to call him a staunch Catholic. I think I like the word staunch. Staunch is just fun to say. I've never heard it before. I might start using that. It's hard to say once, too. Like, staunch Catholic. you got to say it more than once because it's fun, right? Staunch. Anyhow, Dave's a staunch Catholic. So I said to him, Dave is such a staunch Catholic, he can't pass by a priest without... Getting on his knees. Yeah, and opening his mouth, yeah. That's right. (laughs) That was the joke? That was the joke, yeah. Hey! We're going to give applause for that one, I think. Oh, I lost my uh, thing. There we, go. there we go. We're back. All right, with that one, let's do a little segment we call uh, Feedback. We got feedback. We got feedback. <laughs> feedback. This week's episode, or this week's segment of Feedback, We Got Feedback is brought to you by Amazon dot com and amazon.ca if you go to live from the dutch hall.com and click on one of my amazon banners whether it be amazon.com amazon ca or amazon prime where you can uh have a 30 30 day trial of amazon prime with no obligation to buy and you get uh free uh two-day shipping anywhere from anywhere in the continent so try that out go on live from the dutch hall and support the show any little anything you buy there, anyways, is just going to send a couple bucks to help me uh, pay for the crap I have to buy to do this. All right. So feedback, we got feedback this week. We actually are filming this. Uh, we're recording this episode on a Saturday, so just a couple days after we did the last one. But uh, we haven't got a lot of feedback because just the one just went out. But one thing we did get uh, was some feedback from the Haitian dwarf, which is of course who we look forward to listening, hearing from every week. And I have to name a listener of the week, and this week's listener of the week is Ice Girl 60. Ice Girl 60, I can't thank you enough for all the support you've given the show. She's always been great at retweeting uh, our episodes, any comments that I do. She shares, uh, shares, and she's been a great support. She's helped me book guests, which I haven't got in yet, but I've been in contact with both of your uh, guests. I want you to know, Ice Girl, and I'd like to thank you for all your support. Thank you, Ice Girl 60, for being listener of the week. And so this will bring us to our segment. This is our Haitian Dwarf theme song. Hello, Haitian Dwarf. Thank you very much again for getting back to me so quickly. Episode 28, Haitian Dwarf writes, It's always nice to hear from the rooster, even if he is hammered. As far as anatomical correctness, it seems that all my appendages are miniature but one. Comes in handy, too. You'd be surprised how many ladies have dwarf love on their bucket list. Love from the Haitian dwarf. And it's uh, five stars as well. So thank you, Haitian dwarf. (laughs) That's it for feedback. We got feedback. 
Uh, we make it short this week because I because uh, we didn't have much to talk about. But please, everybody, keep doing what you're doing. Listen to the show. Follow me on Twitter, Dutch Hall on Twitter. Please like uh, like my Live from the Dutch Hall page on Facebook. Uh, visit my website, livefromthedutchhall.com, and click on the Amazon links if you need to buy anything from those guys. And uh, look look forward to some uh, nice episodes we're working on for the next few weeks. There's some really cool guests that we're working on booking and bringing in. So just keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much, everybody. That's feedback. We got feedback. There we go. All right. We got the business out of the way. See what sucks, eh? <laughs> but you have to pay for something. Absolutely. You want to know how much money I made? How much? Five bucks. <laughs> five dollars and five cents. A week? No, no. Since December. Since December. <laughs> yeah. It's great. Oh, I thought comedy was rough. No, it's terrible. Podcasting is, 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 is no, no good at all. There's no upside to it. But I, I like doing it every week. So um, so you want to do... I have this thing. I was talking about uh, Google. And uh, I was thinking about stand-up comedy. And I thought and you know, I had a stand-up comedian coming in. I was really excited because I really enjoy... I'm a big comedy fan. So I uh, looked at uh, the possibility of what a guy like me would have to do to start in the business of stand-up comedy. So... In today's day and age, in, in the world that we live in, the only person to ask is Mr. Google or Mrs. Google. I'll call her Miss Google because she knows everything. <laughs> and then uh, so Miss, I asked Google how to, get, uh, in, uh, how to get started in stand-up comedy. That's why I put in the little search thing. And what came up was nine steps to get started in stand-up comedy with pictures. With pictures, which are very helpful, <laughs> the pictures were. So I'm going to read them to you, Jason, and then you tell me. If it seems like they're on the right track. All right. Does that make sense? Is yeah, that, that make sense? To me, yeah. Okay, this is step one. Step one, they say, write about five minutes of original material that you found funny, that you find funny, and that you believe others will find funny too. That seems like overstating the yeah. obvious, yeah, right? Absolutely. Some find it useful to watch other stand-ups, but remember that the more you see of other people, the, e the less easy it will be to be original. Do you agree with that? In, in certain ways, yeah. I guess in, in certain ways you can tell when somebody is, like, almost too influenced by somebody. But at the same time, if you want to – like, we were talking about even before the show with, with that idea of, like, fake it till you make it. Like, act professional even if you don't feel professional yet, right? And I watched a lot of comedy before I started doing comedy even just to try to carry myself – on stage like a professional comedian carries himself on stage right yeah i agree with that like it's like asking a musician don't listen to music if you're like how can you like, how can you, you do you it can't, right you can't you know? it's not a, and it's, or a hockey player not to watch hockey on tv you know like you have to well i mean that's a bit different but the the whole thing about it is that there are people that have gone through all the learning why would you ignore the stuff yeah, that they've accomplished absolutely. like they've done years and years of figuring shit out and you can shorten that process by paying attention to them. Yes, and it's and again, it just comes down to any walk of life. Usually lawyers hang out with other lawyers. Doctors hang out with other doctors. Electricians hang out with other electricians. Yeah, and they share best practices There's, and exactly, find the shortcuts. And, exactly. Yeah. And just... So this is a, they go on to say, this is still step one, ask some friends about funny stories or jokes that they might have, then stretch it a little, make it very interesting. So it's saying, it's, don't listen to other comics... But listen to your friends' stories, your non-professional stand-up comedian friends that might have interesting stories and steal from them, but then make it more interesting. That was their advice. Ah. Uh, <laughs> you done that? I wouldn't say I've done that. No? I'd, I'd say... You ever had a friend who's like, who's like the funniest guy you know, but he, he, you know he'd never be able to do what you do? Definitely. But sometimes some of my friends are, are funny... Even not trying to be funny just because they're like these weird characters themselves or they have these absurd lives and it's amusing to me, but definitely wouldn't carry out on stage. Right, right. Um, like all, all I can say with with that type of thing is I wouldn't say I take – I've ever taken like a friend's story and, and turned it into something that like I want to do or like I like – I like writing. I mm -hmm. really like writing, so I want it to come from me. But I'll definitely – you can hear things 
and then something can pop into your head. Like I was, uh, I was with Katie one time and, uh, and I, uh, this is like a couple, almost a couple years ago. Cause I had started writing a while before I had actually hit a stage yep. and I had this bacterial infection on my forearm. It was really nasty. And I went to the emergency room with Katie and, uh, we're waiting in the waiting area and she noticed that I had a skin tag on my wrist, but she didn't know what it was. And she said, what's that? And I said, it's a skin tag. And then right after I said that, I said, I know my parents bought me because I have a skin tag. <laughs> I want to tear it off, but it says, do not remove. And it was like her saying something or asking me a question. This is a trigger. That triggered that, right? So people can trigger thoughts just by saying words or like, Using a saying, and then you turn that saying into something else. Yeah. But, no, like, it's not like anybody's ever been, like, they had this story about going to the mall or doing this and that, and then I just took that and then changed a few things. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. And when you're in a one, you're kind of a one-liner, you're a one-liner comic or, like, a short, short uh, joke comic. So, like, it's harder to seem less influenced because of that style, like, because it's a... I don't know how to say it. Like, I mean, there's a lot of one-liner comics and that are, they have that rhythm in that kind of like punch, punch, punch. And like, that's going to be common of that genre of comedy, you Absolutely. know, like, but you're not stealing, you're not being Stephen Wright or you're not being uh, Mitch, Mitch Hedberg, Hedberg or, or yeah, yeah, you must get Mitch Hedberg just because of your look. More Even than appearance. Anything. I get Mitch, I get Mitch Hedberg comparisons the most. And I love Mitch Hedberg. Um, but to be honest, if I had a favorite one-liner comedian, it would be Stephen Wright. He's and like I, the granddaddy almost. And he's uh, exactly in like I. Well, I shouldn't say that. Rodney Dangerfield. No, he's not one-liners, but he's like short even, jokes. Yeah, even Rodney Dangerfield had like a lot of short jokes, one-liner kind of style. Henny Youngman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, way back in the day. Um, classic one-liner comedian but Stephen i heard a great Wright. story about henny Youngman. oh nice it was uh it was just on gilbert godfrey's podcast he had on uh jeffrey ross mm. and uh he, they were talking about old-time comics right and they're talking about going to the friars club and henny youngman is uh in fr- they're walking and waiting to get into the friars club or they're walking toward the Fly- friars club in new york and henny youngman's in front of him jeff ross is walking on the sidewalk he sees henny youngman in front of him and he sees a pigeon come and land right beside Henny Youngman. Henny, Henny Youngman's alone. No, no, he doesn't know Jeff Ross is watching him. Right. He's just alone walking to the to the Friars Club. The pigeon lands right beside him. Henny Youngman turns to him and says, "Any calls?" <laughs> it, it was a joke just for himself, right? Like there's no one else around. At yeah. a, a certain point, it just became like reflex for him that he just sure. couldn't help himself. Like he sees the joke and he's like, "Got it to go for it." Sometimes you just. And a guy like that probably just loves comedy so much that yeah, he'll just say stuff to amuse himself. Yeah. At certain points, right? I'll t- I'll talk to myself sometimes if Katie's not home yet or she's still at work or like like one of my cats can run by and do something weird and then I'll say like a joke to about the cat? about the cat or something <laughs> or about the weird thing he just did. It's like a muscle though, isn't it? It's like But it kind of just becomes like a reflex almost. Yeah. yeah. They said they went out to dinner with them, and it was like, uh, you know, just to get to the table. It's like, give me a, give me a table near a waiter, right? <laughs> Stuff like that, you know. Wait, uh, wait, waiter, call the, call the police. My, my dinner's being held up in the kitchen, right? <laughs> Stuff like that, you know, just nonstop. See, like, I love that <laughs> stuff, though. I love those quick. Like, it's very cheeky, but yeah. Funny. Yeah, it's funny. funny. Very clever. Yeah, you can't. I, I think that re, when it goes on ridiculous, I'm in. Like I'm, I'm Ab- in. Oh, absolutely, it's uh, the best. That's why. Uh, who do you think? Uh, like you said, Stephen Wright, as far as one-liner comics, and uh, would would he be the of the biggest influence to you, or would he definitely be the biggest influence to me? Um, the one thing I really like about Stephen Wright is that not only was it his one-liners. But he was so surreal. Yeah. He was so imaginative. Like he could just turn something that is very commonplace that everybody has knowledge of and then add this other part to it that would make it ridiculous. Like one of one of his jokes where he says, um, I broke a mirror last week. I'm supposed to get seven years bad luck, but my lawyer thinks he can get me five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you take a very common thing, but then you add this other concept to it 
that like it kind of adds up in a way. It's like it's making those connections too. And people would think like, how would you ever figure out to take a broken mirror and a lawyer yeah, and yeah. put that together, right? And he somehow had a way of yeah. doing stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I like how a guy can do it in short spurts like that and still make a political statement too. Like you can actually still get your that, point no, across definitely. of how you feel about certain things that are serious issues with those one little stabbing jokes, you know, Absolutely. like, like it's, it's funny. Like even your, the, um, your racism jokes, which are more of a comment on political correctness yes, than it is about racism. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Which I thought was really, I was really clever. You know, I just thought it was funny. You know, when you said my favorite, co- my favorite color, my favorite color is equality. I, equality. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite, one of my favorites, but uh, I, I hate burning your stuff. But anyways, so step two, step two, Find a comedy club where you can uh, book an open spot. That sounds like uh, you need a stage, so they yeah. give you a, a step two. This is the part I have a problem with. It says, kiss everyone's ass you meet and friend them on Facebook. This may require some patience, as some clubs have long waiting lists of acts. If no clubs in town are ready for you, look into schools, talent shows, or anywhere you will have an audience. Always tell jokes to anyone, even if they're somewhat strangers to you. For, for instance, let's say you run into a lady at the supermarket, you grab the same can of peaches or something, say sorry, and try to tell a joke related to that situation. Any joke that comes to mind, just try to get a humorous vibe with everyone. If that doesn't work, just tell jokes about sex you never had. Who knows? That might be a club owner that is looking for comedy acts. So always keep it positive, a positive, funny attitude with anyone. That's some of the worst advice I've ever heard of. I'm sorry. What do you think about that? Um, I, I, I could say from personal experience, I don't feel like I, uh, I walked in anywhere kissing everybody's ass. Um, I did add a lot of guys to Facebook and stuff like that and make connections with I don't think that's kissing other ass, though. comedians. But, I, however, I don't feel like that's kissing ass. I don't feel like I ever did anything like that. I've never done anything that I feel degrades myself, like where I begged for a show or, like, sucked up to somebody hoping that they would like me enough as a person that they would put me on a show. I'm not an asshole either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, f- I feel like, in general, I carry myself well enough that I don't get into conflict with people, but at the same time, I'm not being phony right, right, either, right. right? So, and I think that... Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think that's necessary at all. I think if you yeah. come in, like, an ask... I think... This is my opinion. I don't know if I'm right, but... uh if you're like, uh, I would just say, if you're if you're the type of person that wants to go up and do stand up comedy, that's a certain amount of like you're you're like a self made guy, like you really are, like you're you're doing your own thing. If you wanted to kiss someone's ass, go to a bank, you know, like go right. go go some fucking big company and just uh, you know kiss their ass and sure. get your nice get a better cubicle with a with a window or something. I don't yeah, know. They might actually do something for you. Right? They'll pay I- you. Yeah, <laughs> it's more than you say about comedy. Yeah, <laughs> all I, all I know is that like I'm not saying like a ton of people kiss my ass or something. Really, like I'm not even in a position where I could do a bunch of comedians' favors because I don't run shows myself. I I yeah. perform at shows, but I'm not booking anything, um, and getting people on stage. But I do feel like there's been times. Where certain comedians, like, I've gotten off the stage and maybe had a good set and felt good about it. But then comedians would come up to me and almost pour it on too thick about how good I did. And are just, like, layering it on too much. Or then, like, leaving comments on my Facebook about how great it was and you're going to be famous someday. And for for me, personally, and I can't speak for everybody... But that just annoys me more than flatters me. Right, right. I don't like. I don't like think like, oh wow, this I'm gonna be good friends with this person now. I just think I can't even take you seriously because you poured on so thick. I just I don't even take it as real anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like if you just said good job and shook my hand, I'd be like that's sincere. That's about real. What, you know what, what the I mean? appropriate response would yeah. be? Yeah, yeah. I guess it's it, it's like that in any line of work, like. Um, you probably see it at your day job too. Like uh, you have, I always find there's two camps of people. There's like there's the ass kissers and then there's the workers. There's yeah. the ones that actually are skilled at what they do, 
and they're going to do it based on their own merits. And then there's the there's the ones that try to do it through politicking or through ass kissing. Yeah. And the ones that made it based on that criteria of ass kissing, I got it. I killed it. There was a dare fly flying around my head, and I just snapped it out of the air like Mr. Miyagi. Is that reference lost to you guys? Are you too young for that? I caught it. Oh, yeah? Okay. I got it. Is it, but it, do you remember that you, Karate Kid, or are you just into the Will Karate Smith Kid, kid no. one? No. Well, actually, <laughs> Come on. I don't know how old I am. Man. I don't know where <laughs> where my my brain got stuck. You know, but it's stuck somewhere. It, definitely in TV in the seventies or something. So, um, so uh, what was I saying? Oh, uh, any line of work. There's ass kissers and there's there's workers, right? Like the ones that made it, the ones that got their achieved some level of success in their company or in their line of work that did it through kissing other people's asses are more apt to, once they get to a position of power, like that some young kid, at a, some douchebag at a university is going to come kiss his ass. And yeah. they're like, oh, this guy's on the fast track to, to big, the big time because he's a little ass kisser. Mm -hmm. And then there's the ones that just think they're going to do it on their merit and they'll get promoted based on their abilities and their hard work and stuff like that. Those silly fuckers, you know, that's what I fell into that category, I like to believe. And um, those people... If they managed to be smart enough to weasel their way up the line, then they would see the same qualities that made that they th thought made them successful. They'll see those same qualities in others as being admirable. You know, yeah. if they see a, another kid who's grinding away and trying to really do it based on learning the job and doing a good job and working hard and all that stuff, then they're going to probably help that that guy along or that girl along. Where, um, so I think no matter what line you're working in, if you were an ass kissing comedian that. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting your ass kicked. And you're like, it's my turn now, bitch. You know, yeah. like, I'm going to take this and, and see what I can leverage out of it. Those people are horrible. <laughs> they deserve no credit. They don't deserve any success they have. And you can kind of see them on television. You know their talent level is not equal to the position that they've obtained, yeah, like, to the amount of fame that they've obtained. You see occurred. that a lot in, uh, in uh, I'm not just going to say comedy, but in, like, in show business in general, yeah. you can definitely see people that are on the like the the top level or whatever else, and then you know that your friend is way better at guitar than this guy and sings a thousand times better, and and Nickelback's winning junior yeah. awards, <laughs> and you're going like you're going, how did this? What happened here? What's wrong with the system? Yeah. But I guess some people like it. Some people might really be in to like having their, you know, their their head patted or their, their ass kissed or like whatever the case, right? But Well, I think we're still addicted to the machine too as a general public. We're addicted to the marketing machine. So we're used to getting our like being told what's good from some big corporate entity right. that 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 bombards us with ads and stuff about this and says you're these people this is good this is what you should watch and now you're starting to see with the with and I, and I call it the emergence of the internet but i know the internet's been around for a while but i just think people are starting to try to figure out how the power comes to yeah. the artist again whether you be in music or comedy or any 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 sort of creative endeavor where you don't need to have some corporate entity to tell you you're any good anymore if you have ambition and and you want to figure out how to do it yourself, you just do it yourself. It's, it, and, and you can promote it yourself. You can find people that can help you. And, but you can control whatever you, whatever you think is good anymore, which is what I love about the Internet, you know, yeah. the fact that everyone can have a voice. The downside to it is that there's a lot of shit, you know, that there's a lot of garbage, sure, right? Sure, everybody's trying to get famous, right? <laughs> right, right. But I think if you do anything for the – this is what I read one time. I don't know if, if you'll agree with it, but I really – it really – struck a chord with me when I read it and it was like they said if you're doing anything in your life for fame or for money you'll never be happy yeah that if that uh, you'll never have enough of either one of those things to make you truly happy like you're always gonna be chasing it right and if you're doing something for a greater for something that's not involving either one of those two things like not trying to you're not trying to do it for your own personal gain as far as power goes or f as far as money or if you're doing it just because it's what you feel is right or it makes you uh it it uh, makes you feel you think it's good and it's and it's and the work itself is what you're concentrating on then the rest of the stuff's going to fall in place like you, you you don't have to worry about it because and then you'll find happiness a lot sooner and it's very true right and it's i don't know i i just know that like at this point for me i just want to be a really good comedian that's like the main focus like i'm not 
Like, I could be doing more to chase paying gigs, to set up a website, to get more things going. But at this point, it's not too much of a concern of mine. Like, the main concern is to just, I want to keep writing jokes. I want to keep doing shows in front of audiences. I don't care if it's for free. I don't care. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Yeah. I don't care if I have to go out of town and lose money. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just about doing what I have to do to be the the best comedian I can be right now and always be growing, right? Like yeah. I'm going to be going to Toronto in August, and I was just there recently, and you, you lose a ton of money. You lose a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. It's just expensive. To, it's expensive to travel in Toronto. I had to stay at a backpacker's hostel. Yeah, yeah. Katie and I like driving around. Parking is ridiculous. Yeah. Driving is ridiculous there. Yeah. There's just there, there's all these things. And then I took the Greyhound home. That cost more money, right? Yeah. But I was able to do seven shows in five nights. Yeah. And I never give up that experience. No, that's and, what's... and the growth I got from that alone. Right? right. So they never ask a university kid how much money you're making in university, right? Like, are you making a living at university yet? You know, they don't ask you that, no. right? But if you're going through your education in a creative endeavor, everyone wants to know if you're making money yeah, at it yet. It's very true. And I say to them, no, I'm not making money at it. Or And they say, well, you know, why are you doing it? I said, well, it's not it's, like I'm yeah. learning. I'm like, I'm, I, you don't know what you're going to do with it, but I don't, I'm trying to build a skill set. Yeah. You know, you build a skill set, then you, then you can figure out what you want to do with it. But right now you're just trying to get, you're just trying to get some chops. Like you're just trying to figure it out. Right. Even uh, there's this guy at my work, and I'll make jokes because, like, once in a while I get, like, a paid gig and stuff like that. And uh, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, so I got another paid show. It's pretty cool or whatever else. He's like, yeah, but what are they giving you, like, 50 bucks? And the funny thing is it's actually significantly less than that. <laughs> yeah. It's usually, like, 10. Yeah. Um. And I'm just like, whatever. It doesn't matter. And I don't yeah, go Yeah, I got yet. a basket of fries. Yeah, so what? <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. They, they give you some drinks on the house. Yeah. And you get a basket of fries, and you're happy. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got up on stage. I didn't. I actually broke even tonight. I'm good. Because you know what? If it came, because at this point, if it came down to I got paid $100 to do a show, and I bombed, or I did a show for free and I killed, i do it for free and kill. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Well, like that's what that's what really matters. Like right. the payment is in hearing them laugh right now. Can you learn as much from a show you do well at? Like you can from one you bomb at. I don't know. I think you can. I think that there's certain things that you can cuz again with with comedy there's a lot of like rhythm and there's a lot of timing and stuff like that in comedy too. Like I did a show at this bar called The Poacher's Arms on June 16th. It went really well. I got like three applause breaks. But at one point when I got the one applause break, I had a follow-up joke to the one I had just got an applause break for. And I interrupted the applause break. I kind of talked over the audience so I could get this extra like tag joke in there. Yeah, yeah. And I cut off my applause break so I could push this next joke in there. And I watched myself on video later, and I said, like, you could have let them keep clapping for another five or six seconds. You would have been fine. You still could have told the, the tag joke, and they still would have got it. Yeah, yeah. And the funny thing is, I used that same joke at the Tom Segura show. I got an applause break for it, but this time I knew to wait. So the applause had kind of drifted a bit more. And then tag it? And then I tagged it, and it still worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't I didn't cut myself off of anything. I didn't lose anything, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so in some ways, I think, yeah, you can definitely still learn from good shows. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. We got we to gotta plug your show. We got to plug some of your upcoming dates. I know we're going to miss the one. You're playing in London on, on July 16th, but I think people are going to miss that. So because I'm putting the show out on the 18th. So Thursday, August 7th, uh, Jason Allen will be playing Kitsch Comedy Club in Toronto. Um, once again, it's August 7th, Kitsch Comedy Club in Toronto. You go see Jason Allen there. Uh, I, I, I wholeheartedly recommend that everybody who has a chance to see Jason go out and see him. He's, uh, you can tell he's a, he's a writer. 
You can tell he works really hard on it, and I think he does. And I was a huge fan of it. I, I really enjoyed Thanks. it, Jason. I can't Thanks. tell you enough. And it's really nice of you to come all this way and to come, uh, come see me. Uh, let any, let uh, let your friends know if they want to come down to the Dutch Hall. They're more than welcome. Absolutely. We're gonna do. We, we got. I got a couple of things I'll talk to you about after the show about ideas I have. You tell me Perfect. what you think of it. For sure. Anyways, everybody, I'd like to thank everyone for listening live from the Dutch Hall, and uh, especially thank my guest Jason Allen for coming in. If you'd like to uh, follow me on Twitter, Dutch Hall on Twitter, like me on Facebook, visit the Dutch Hall website. Support the sponsors and go see Jason Allen at on Thursday, August 7th in Toronto at Kitsch Comedy Club in Toronto. I know we got listeners in Toronto, so if you can make it out to see Jason, please do. Once again, I'm Pete Van Dyke. This has been a great show. Thank you for listening.